Good morning, Grace. It's good to be back. <laughs> it's good to be back standing. It's good to be uh, uh, real quick. I wanted to say, starting next week, we're gonna. You want to. You want to be here to be here. Uh, the mosaic service is a fully interactive. We'll take the chairs out of the floor here and we'll worship physically with each other by taking communion and having our, our prayer walls and and uh, Thanksgiving walls set up. It's a beautiful experience. We do it about every two years. Don't miss that. And then that's going to lead us into the, the Christmas season here at Grace where, man, it's a great time to be at Grace. So please, uh, clear your schedules. Be here on Sunday. I want to give you an update on my physical health. I'm uh, so... I've been dealing with a thing called Meniere's disease for over 30 years, and we've backed into the place where it's a point of no return. So they're going to go in, make a hole in the skull here behind my ear, and then go in and cut the nerve, the balance nerve that's been throwing me out of whack for quite a while. And so I would love your prayers that we could actually do this this week. Um, one of the, the brain surgeon guy, it looks like he could have it available. We're trying to get another couple surgeons in the room so it can be done, you know, right way. So I <laughs> only want to do this one time. So uh, I'd appreciate your prayers and that that surgery would be successful and be the end of this uh, thing going on. Today, uh, I didn't get to preach last week. And the last two chapters of, of First Peter's what we're looking at, if you'll turn to First Peter chapter four, I, I, I'm just, I kind of made the last two sermons into one. So brace yourself. I'm coming at you kind of fast with a lot of content. It's such, this is like, he ends with a climactic exp, uh, explanation of life and living as a Christian. So uh, here we go. It's a two for one Sunday. When I was in high school, a number of my friends started amateur boxing. It was called, it's called, still is called Golden Gloves. And uh, in San Antonio, at least back in those days, that was one of the top boxing towns in the entire country. There's some very good gyms there. And one of my better friends, Russell, he would have me come over to his house to help him train. Now, <clears throat> Russell was about two or three, at, at least, weight classes above me. And so it wasn't fair. And to make it fair, what he would do is, you know, I'd wrap up and then glove up. And then he'd just put his hands behind his back and then say, I want you to hit me as hard as you can for as long as you can. And that seemed to make it even, you know. And, <laughs> but I got to tell you, Three three-minute rounds is a lot longer than you might think. I mean, nearly, nearly tapped myself out with that, but I think I won every time we fought. And, and listen, this is a great story because this is how it ends. Russell won the Golden Glove Championship for the state two years in a row. I think I might have a little something to do with that. <laughs> so uh, what was Russell doing? Like, well, why would he tell a friend to hit him in the face as hard as he can for as long as he can. Well, Russell was trying to learn how to take a punch and not blink. He had to learn how to be punched without reacting to the punch because Russell was going to the very best gym in town. That coach, he was nationally or internationally ranked when he was a pro professional fighter. He knows a lot about the sport of boxing. He told all of his boxers this fundamental truth. He said, you guys are going to get hit in the face. <laughs> it's boxing. You can count on it. So you have to learn how not to blink when you get punched in the face. That's how you do it. You brace for it. And oddly enough, that's today's lesson. <laughs> Look what Coach Peter says. 
He says, my beloved, my good friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. You're going to get punched in the face as though it's something strange were happening to you. <laughs> Here's Peter in an internationally ranked apostle. And he's, he's telling us, he goes, like, I, I'm, I'm kind of a coach in Christianity, special out of that myself. And, I, and Peter's coming in here and he's telling us, you got to change your perspective on persecution. Oh, it's going to happen. You just need to brace for it. Look, you go all the way back to the inception of the sport, the inventor of Christianity, Jesus, the greatest of all time, right? What did he tell us about the nature of Christianity? Well, what did he say? He says in John chapter 15, he says, uh, they hate you. That's because they hated me first. They're, they're, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Jesus comes in and says, hey, I'm going to start this thing called Christianity. I want you to know right out of the get, it's a full contact faith. It's coming. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. So that's how this works. That's how you know you're in the game. And if you look at the context of 1 Peter, you can see, you know, he, he's writing this group of people that are first century Christians, and they're being persecuted, extreme threats, accusations, lies, even, torn away from their families, even killed. And Peter comes in and says, hey, friends, my beloved, hey, the art of the Christian life is not trying to figure out a way to avoid persecution, but rather how to respond to it. It's not about avoiding, it's about how to respond to it. We have to change our entire perspective on suffering for the Lord and suffering in persecution. He, and what he wants us to do is he wants us to see that like there's a plan in this and there's a, there's a purpose for it and God is in charge of all of it. And, and it's because of that, Peter's just gonna join, Peter is gonna join Jesus and, and Paul and James and they're gonna say, look, about this suffering and trials, be encouraged. You should absolutely rejoice at this opportunity. And so Peter's going to bring in this perspective, and he, and he starts it off at the very beginning of the epistle itself. That's why the introduction is so effective, the little, little bumper that we show, because he's, he's telling us the way you can make sense out of this change in perspective on persecution is to start here. So at the very beginning of the book, chapter one, just to review, he just says, look, it's all about identity, like how, who you are, who you're claiming to be. And Peter says declaratively there at the beginning, he says, you're different like Jesus. He says, you're an exile, like you're, you're not from here. He said, we are aliens like Jesus. We, we're we're going we're gonna, to uh, serve a different kingdom. We belong to a different kingdom. We have a whole different set of values. We have an authority that we surrender to that is not of this world. So you feel like you're a fish out of water? Just to have a hard time breathing? Good. <laughs> That's the way you're supposed to feel because you're not from here. He's saying Christianity is a full contact sport. Yeah, you're going to get punched. So just learn how to, to do it. You're supposed to feel strange here. And the people aren't going to like that. They're going to hate you for it. And so he's going to give us this little paragraph. And I want this section I want you to listen for in the context of this suffering, how Peter's going to say, look, there's a sovereignty of God in this. And there's, there's a purpose 
in what we go through. And then listen for the, 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 the close, intimate presence of God as we read through the passage. I'll explain it in just a minute, but here's the big, here's the big passage. He says, verse 12, chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though it's like something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in, the suffer- in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that very name. 19. <laughs> Here's the one to remember. Memorize this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The passage here, it's, 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 it's changing this perspective on persecution. In this section, Peter's going to come in and he's going to give us four reasons why we might find ourselves rejoicing in suffering. He's going to give us four benefits for suffering. He's going to say there's like four, four ways the Christian life works better because of persecution. He's going to actually, there's experiential truth that's going to be talked about here. And that is that if you experience suffering for the Lord's sake, persecution that is, You can't have certain things unless God allowed those persecutions to happen. You would ask God to bring them on you. That's how this change in perspective is. So first benefit, first thing you get from persecution is found in verse 12. It refines our character. Verse 12 says, beloved, there it is again. Hey, affectionately, my loved ones, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though it were something strange were happening to you. So he says, don't be surprised. The word is bewildering astonishment. What? This can't be happening. Or maybe I'm doing something wrong. And, and Peter's saying, no, no, no. Suffering is not an accident. It's an appointment. It's all part of this plan. And as a matter of fact, in this epistle, because that's the theme of it, this is the third time Peter has talked about being persecuted and suffering for Christ. Because what he's saying is it's a vital part of the Christian experience. You're a citizen citizen in heaven. You're going to be misunderstood. You'll be viled. You'll be insulted. You'll be disliked. People can't make sense out of you, so they're just going to make stuff up and start treating you harshly. And Peter says, it means you're in the ring. (laughs) That's That's what it means to be a player. That's how, that's, that's what it looks like. And then Peter says, don't be surprised about the fiery trial. It even showed up in the, in the intro video. Fiery trial is probably referring to a refining fire. It's easy to go to a goldsmith. It's the thing that a lot of people would have in mind when they read this. And the goldsmith would purify gold by, you know, putting raw gold, I guess, in, into a vat. And, the, and that goldsmith would heat it up, right? Because of the density of gold, it's... It goes to the bottom, and then the impurities are raised to the top. Those are the things that aren't pure gold. And that goldsmith would scrape those off and put it over there, and then he's done. He is not done. Then he has to turn it up and fire up a little hotter, and then more impurities come up, and then, he's, then it's just two, and then you're done. No, and then he does it again. 
And this, this goldsmith is going to continue to do this until he can look down in that gold and he will see his reflection as though it were the mirror itself. And that's what, that's what the refining fire is. God, in his sovereignty, places us in place in situations and circumstances, and he turns up the heat, and then we see that, and he takes that off, and he's going to keep doing that until we're becoming like Christ in all of life, and we, he sees the reflection of Jesus in us. And so Peter's just saying, so don't be surprised when this happens. I mean, you can expect it, but expect it with a purpose. Beautiful quote says, God doesn't waste our suffering, neither should we. God doesn't waste our suffering, neither should we. And the refining fire, it brings out the worst in us. Don't be afraid of that. The refining fire brings out the worst in us so that God can make the best of us. That's how we find out him working in our lives. He tells us, to, it, it, the second thing that persecution does, it allows us to identify with Christ. We get to share and we rejoice because we're suffering with him. In verse 13, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Two times it says rejoice in suffering. Really? <laughs> I mean, this sounds a little masochistic, but it's not. He's saying, look, look, look deeper, look, look past you. Okay. He's not saying kind of rejoice in the suffering itself. It's like rejoice in who you get to share the suffering with. There's a deeper fellowship with Christ. I mean, think about this. Can you really relate to Jesus? I mean, the God-man, perfect without sin? I don't know. It's just so, I, I want to gravitate towards like Peter or somebody that, that's not so God-man, perfect. How do you relate to Jesus? I, I mean, have you suffered? Been ridiculed? Rejected? Extreme temptations? Accusations? Lies? Rejected even by family? Well, so did Jesus. So you can relate to him because he's related to you. And suffering and persecution is one of the tangent points between heaven and earth. It's a tangent point. It was a tangent point math, right? Remember, it's like when a line hits a curve, that exact place where a line hits the curve, those two places touch. The point is this, is that we are trying... Like the goal of Christianity, the, like the thing of Christianity is that we would know and experience and enjoy a relationship, a relationship with a transcendent, most holy God. How can that happen? It doesn't happen much. It happens in two places. It happens when heaven reaches down and comes to, and descends to earth. And then there are times when heaven or when earth like crawls its way, climbs its way to the top to see what heaven might be like. Those two places where heaven is coming down and, and earth is going up, it's joy and it's sorrow. Those are the two tangent points. And how do you know you're having those experiences? You cry because we don't, we don't know what to do with ourselves when we're that close to heaven and heaven is that close to us. So we, we cry, it just comes out. Joy is when earth reaches up to heaven and, and just 
like, what's it like up there? I miss home so bad. And occasionally in our lives, we'll have an experience. Sometimes it's just nature. You're a sunset at the Grand Canyon, and you're, you, you lose your breath, and you, and you cry, and you say, this, is this a little bit what it's like? That's joy. The birth of a child or a grandchild. <laughs> and you cry because you don't know what to do. This, this is a little bit like heaven. That's joy. And then there's times when heaven bends, stoops, goes beneath itself, and touches earth and says, I know what you're like. And that happens when the triune God that doesn't have to do this relates to us in suffering and sorrow and loneliness and hardship and persecution. Know this to be true that God has gone to great lengths, those great lengths, the gospel story itself, so, so that he can relate to us so that we can relate to him. And I'd love a life with nothing but joy, but that's only half of the places where earth and heaven touch. The other half is this. And you'll listen to stories, friends, in the context of persecution, like literally in jails, sometimes being burned alive, you'll hear people say, I have never felt closer to my king in my entire experience. Why is that? Because it, it's, it's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And again, the bigger kind of the, 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 the timeline that Peter has in these books are it's, he's coming soon. This is short. Look, in the last part of 13, he says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We're rejoicing and be glad because we're looking forward to those, that the end of this story. Peter's a coach looking at you and me in between rounds, and we're kind of getting pummeled, okay? And coaches in, those, in the corners, they don't say, okay, you only have 11 rounds yet left. They don't say that kind of stuff. They, go, they say, just hang in there, man, three more minutes, and then we'll see what we're going to do next. He's telling us to just keep fighting. Because here's the thing, he's saying at the end of this, in another 12 minutes, we'll do post-fight interviews, and you don't want to go into that interview with any regret. Peter's saying you do not want to enter eternity with regret. You could have stayed longer. You could have fought harder. You could have learned how to not blink. He's saying, come on, make the most of this. Because later on, this, this suffering, in retrospect, is nothing. Paul literally says this. I consider our present sufferings not worthy of comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us later. So rejoice and be glad, he says. We're going to be greeted by Christ at end times. And, or, and Jesus is going to look at us like, Do you, you got a spear in your side? I got a spear in my side. We have similar scars. Yeah. Cool story. Yeah. Persecution refines us. Persecution connects us to Christ in ways we couldn't do otherwise to our king. And it says here in verse 14, we also, we're blessed by God. Look what he says. If you're insulted, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God is going to rest upon you. Punches are coming. That just means you're in the ring. There's the word. There's my word. Insulted. Boy, that kind of jumped off the page when I read it. It hurt. I don't know. I blink at insulted a lot. It means literally means like being rejected by society. It's that it's that snicker in the classroom when you bring up something about 
something that's in the Bible or it's the rolling of the eyes in the boardroom. Uh-oh, here's the ethics guy coming up again. Oh, or maybe just in your neighborhood where you get the cold shoulder or are disinvited or actually rejected by people because they know you're a follower of Christ and you enjoy your church life. And Peter's saying, no, 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 that's a, that's a blessing, that rejection, that being insulted. And I think for me, the insulted thing is where, uh, it's just kind of like, a, yeah, sorry, just a little bit, it's me, okay? This is where I, this is where I blink. I, I'm 40 years into the faith, actually more than that. I'm, I'm kind of old. I thought I'd be over some things like this, but one of the values I have in my life is I don't, I don't want to be a Christian that all of my friends like are in this church. Okay? I, I've, I want to make sure that I have a lot of, not a lot, but a few good friends outside the church. They don't know Christ. Okay, I want to be in Austin, but not of Austin. And what I found because of the commitment to be that way that I, I really, I, I want to be liked, even at 60, whatever. And I feel like I need to be respected. And, and I don't know how much I'm willing to pay for that until I pay too much. And, it, and, and, and I blink. I pay too much. I, I say too much, or I don't stand up for something, or I actually do something wrong. And I'm thinking, what just happened there? You know? Why did you blink this time again? Why do you need the respect? Why do you want to be liked so much? And so is that failure? I'd say, well, maybe, no, may, it depends. What, if I choose to learn from it, if I choose to like realize why did I do that? I'm, and I'm gonna say, in my, I'm, never gonna, I'm never gonna fail that way again. Then I can move on and learn something from that. And what's, what's, there's a critical point here about staying with the fight because there's a choice. You can just like blend in. This, this point here is, this, it, it says here, the glory of the, or the spirit of glory in God rests on you. That's how you're blessed. You're blessed by the, the spirit of the glory of God resting on you. And the word rest there means bring refreshment. That's a literal meaning of it. And this is the experiential truth. Okay, this is the passage, this is the part of the passage where you have to be insulted, you have to be rejected for, the, for your claims of Christ, you have to have that kind of that, that projection of shame thrown on you, and then what are you going to do with that? Because when you get back to your room, and you're all by yourself, and you, you're like just feeling the, the bruises, you're making that choice in that moment. Sometimes you're crying because you feel all alone. And, you're, and I will not, and you, sometimes people will say, I will not be embarrassed for my faith again. I'm tired of blinking and I'm tired of getting punched. I don't want this anymore. And so I'm just going to either, what, I don't know, blend in. That's an op. Or I'm checking out altogether. But I'm, that's it. There's no peace there. There's another time you're sitting, you're laying in that same bed and you're, and he's, and you're listening to Peter now and you're realizing, you know what, I, I should expect these things and these are good things because they are refining my character. I just had some very bad things brought out in me with this heat. That's a true thing. You know what, in, this, in the context of this, I feel like, like I'm connecting with Christ in a different way. And so I don't care. I'm staying with Christ. 
I'm staying with the values. I'm surrendering to his lordship, his authority, and I'm just going to leave it there. Wait for it. And then the spirit, it says right there, in the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's why he says you're blessed. You're blessed because the spirit of God and glory rests on you. And when that happens in that bed, you are emboldened and encouraged and you sleep a good night's sleep. It only happens if you've been punched. The last thing he says here is the four things that glorifies God. Glorifies God. It's suffering in his name. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, I, some translation, if you suffer in his name, I love that, keep that in mind. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that same name. There, ashamed, there it is. You know, Satan's goal is to make you ashamed to be associated with that name, that branding. Oh, you're with him. And what Peter is saying here is like, don't be ashamed of that name, be proud of that name. God is glorified when you put your chest out and say, yeah, I'm with him. And in, some, in many respects, it's somewhat the history of the faith. It, it, Peter's saying, don't put your head down. They call you those names, just look up, look them in the eye. Let them see you, hear what they're, you're, called, they're being called, you're being called by them. The word Christian is a derogatory term at its inception. Oh, those are the Christians, the Christ followers. And the Christians said, kind of like the way that looks. You should, yeah, you can call me that. Later on, the Puritans, famous for their purity and their integrity, they were being made fun of. Look at those Puritans. Yeah, let's, let's make a denomination out of it. That's what he means, like, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, glorifies God. I'm, let me remind you, the mood of this whole epistle is that we're running out of time, that the end is near. You don't have to do this for very long. And so, and so, because we're running out of time, because there's not much time left, Peter's saying, seize this suffering. Because in the next life, you don't have a chance to do anything with suffering. It won't happen. Seize the suffering. Because suffering will refine your character. It brings out the worst in you so that God can bring out the best in you. He says, seize the suffering because you identify with Christ in a new way. You receive God's blessing. It glorifies God. Don't miss this. <laughs> Those are the four, those are the four like, principles or attitudes that we need to change. And so now what's interesting, what, now what Peter's going to do is ask the deeper answer the deeper question. Like he's going to, like, good, that's great, there's some blessing in this. But, like, why suffer at all? A sovereign God in control. And Peter answers the question by saying, well, let's look at the nature of God himself. Look what he says in verse 19. This is the memory verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. <laughs> Boy, I, wow. <laughs> Yahweh God, the creator, who is a faithful creator, we're supposed to entrust our souls completely to him while we keep doing good. Why? Because it's all according to his will. That one sentence summarizes everything. He's like, he, he's, he, he's giving, God's permissive will is allowing us to suffer and we don't have to necessarily know why. Joni Erickson knows a few things about suffering. She writes this, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. 
God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So we're the big why. Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Why, is, why, why do you get punished for doing right? Why? The answer, I don't know. Peter's like, I don't know. But what I do know, I do know the nature of God. And I'm going to go to that instead. And he says he's a faithful creator. Starts off with faithful. Look how Peter's not saying, you stay faithful. He says, no, no, God's going to stay faithful to you. Peter ought to know. Peter's the denier. And look what happened because of God's faithfulness to Peter. Peter stays in the faith. Peter writes two epistles on on persecution. (laughs) Peter the denier is writing books. That's because of the faithfulness of God. The faithful creator. Peter goes to him as calling him the creator. Only time in the New Testament, by the way, that God's called the creator. And it's safe for this particular time, this particular subject. Why? Because this is not an easy thing to like enjoy and rejoice suffering, persecution. And so God is showing himself here as the creator, which means he's in control. He's overseeing. He's in charge of every single subatomic string in the entire universe. When he says sit, they stay. And he's appealing to that because the biggest, the hardest, the scariest, the most daunting expectations of faith-filled living in the Bible are answered by God saying to some saint, I know, you can't figure this out. So why don't we just go outside at night and gaze at some stars? And then just see what happens. That's what he does. I mean, God literally does this with Job. When Job's in torment about, about suffering. And, and Abraham, when he's doubting whether or not the promises of God are true. And then in Isaiah's life, he's like, there's so much injustice taking place everywhere. And he's pro- preaching and no one's responding. And so he's, God says this to Isaiah. Why don't we just go outside for a little bit? He says, look up into the heavens. Who created all these stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each star by name. And because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Count the stars, Abraham, Job, Isaiah, my brother, my sisters. And look up in the stars. And God says, so what was your question? And you say, I, 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 don't, I don't know. What I do know is you're in charge. Peter's appeal here is that you are not alone in your persecution. You are not forgotten in your suffering. In fact, the creator, God, Yahweh, is ruling from his throne room, and this is part of the plan. So, so what? He says, so Entrust your very souls to this faithful creator. Entrust your past, whatever that might mean and whatever has been done. Trust your present (laughs) and then trust your future. He means trust that faithful creator with your failures in life. It means give him your successes. That's not not your fault much either. Trusting your very soul means taking all your thoughts captive. It means letting your emotions be determined by what is true in the Bible. It means making choices of the will based on the faithful creator 
that has brought all this together. And it means, entrust means, and then leave the results to him. The end hasn't, doesn't have to be the way we expect. Just, just leave it to him. He's going to work it out. That's what it means. So the context of this whole book itself is the end is near. Seize these days. Seize these days. Don't miss this. And so what does Peter do in light of the urgencies that's in his soul? Come on. Only got a couple more rounds left. What does he do? He writes the local church. I find it interesting that he writes. He doesn't write people. He writes churches. He writes you and me. He's writing grace. He's writing grace because he knows this. He knows the church is, it's a, I don't know, it's a connection group. It's a, churches is some, it's a, it's a support group for fellow exiles. We're supposed to be getting together as fellow exiles going, hey, has anybody here ever been like kicked out of their family for following Christ? Actually, listen, raise some hands. Anybody lost family because of this? Yeah. And you go, what? Me too. Yeah. I'm an exile that way too. Anybody been accused, falsely accused by people in power, lost, I don't know, a promotion or tenure or something like that because you follow Christ and are glad to wear his name? Anyone? Yeah. Made fun of in classrooms, whatever it might be. And, and the, the point is, like, some people are even battered and humiliated and beaten. Some have lost lives. And so I just want to remind you, because this is a very beautiful church. And I got to tell you, we have very beautiful people that come here. And if you're kind of new to church, Grace, it's just, we just practice good hygiene. That's all. It's, it's an illusion. Most of the people in this auditorium and maybe listening at home, we're pretty beat up. We've got some scars because we've been living our lives for Christ. And we come together because we're a support group going, yeah, me too. I lost everything. The church is a, it's a full contact gym. We're gym buddies. And you come in on a gym buddy day and you go, wow, where'd you get that black eye? And you go, uh, Tyrone. Did he fake that jab and then get you with the, the left hook? Yep, he did that to me too. Well, how do you not do it? Great, I want to help share with you how to not be ashamed of the gospel next time you're put in one of these situations where they're trying to embarrass you that way. Look, think of the metaphors. I mean, heaven, heaven is the ultimate VFW. VFW, veterans of foreign wars. Heaven, we're in heaven. We're veterans. We're not fighting anymore. That was a former battle. Foreign, because we were exiled, right? We were in another place. War, you bet. It was a war. Did you guys see combat? No, I kind of hit a lot. I was kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really play for keeps. What? It was the only chance to get in the combat. Veterans of foreign war. That's what, we, that's what we look forward to. And so Peter is toiling the church all of this. He's saying, make the most of this. And because we're like a support group and because we're like a team working together to get better at becoming like Christ in all of life, and because we look for a future where we can't go back in time and wish we would have played heroic games, he says this in chapter 5. This is the, the switch to chapter 5 where he concludes. He says, you've got to stay together. You've got to stay united. You've got to wake up about what's going on around you. You're not, <laughs> these are not peace times. This is not a game. And so Peter gives us in chapter 5 three commands and then one declaration of truth that we're going to enjoy reading together. This is for us. This is last application for the church. 
One, he says, stay humble to everyone. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Lift you up in due time. Leave the results to him. But the application for us is, no, no, no. No, you go first. No, you go first. Your preference, not my preference. It's this constant trying to over-submit to one another so that we can enjoy the unity that is available when we are humble. Second, he says, delegate your anxiety. I love this. It's the realization that we live anxiously. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You in the cage, you in the fight, you in the ring, you in the, you know, whatever it might, whatever the metaphor is going to be, you get pretty anxious, don't you? I just lost this job. I lost this promotion because of my life with Christ. And where am I going to do with this? Here's what he says. He says, cast your anxiety on him. And the word in outside the Bible, that word cast means throw it overboard. (laughs) I love that. It's not like put it over there and save it for later. No, no, no. Abandon ship. Throw it overboard because he cares for you. So next time you're all spun up and wondering and weirding out about, yeah, life is like, yeah, I got to delegate this to the faithful creator. I bet he can handle this. And the next thing he says is to stay alert, stay sober again. Be alert and of sober mind. Alert and of sober mind. Third time he has said this phrase in a book about persecution. First time he said, stay alert and sober about about your position in Christ. It had to be the fullness of salvation because that's the slab you're going to build everything else on. So stay alert and, and, you know, sober about that of mine. Then later on in chapter four, he's going to stay, stay alert and sober about all the things that are going around the church trying to tear you guys apart. So he says, make sure that you are uh, deeply loving one another. And now I think he's climaxing. This is like more of a panic. He's screaming at us, stay alert. Like be sober of mind. Because we're almost finished and the enemy wants to eat you. (laughs) Could he? No, I don't think you can be more graphic. No, that's pretty graphic. Uh, The enemy wants to eat you. Look at verses eight and nine. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, (laughs) tear to shreds. Resist him. Standing firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. In our culture right now, in in our country, I believe there is a satanic and a demonic plan to divide the things that Jesus Christ, God the Father, the triune God loves. He loves it being unified. It's the family and it's the church. And we are not alert and we are not sober. We are suckers. We are like all, 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 all all the devil has to do is just change some words of what they really mean. And then we slanderously throw these words onto each other as though not much damage is done and it's destroying churches and it's destroying families. And I was thinking of American Pie. And Satan, I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the churches died. And here's why he's laughing. It's like, that's all I had to do? That's it? Just like whisper in the ears of a few people involved in influence, give influencers these hate words and let them use the media and the news and the social media and let decades of love and trust be destroyed 
because you used a hyperbolic accusation against someone that has given you everything. That's it. That's all it takes for America to divide. Meanwhile, in Haiti, they're kidnapping and burning churches, and they're staying unified. Churches are, that's what he's, he's appealing to. There's believers all around the world that are undergoing this kind of suffering. So can you guys just wise up a little bit, sober up a little bit, be committed to the things that you're supposed to be wise and sober about, the assurance of your salvation and who you are, committed to loving each other, and now understanding that we're not alone in this war. Peter now concludes with his, like this is the end of the book, and he, this is the bedrock truth on how we're to live. Let's read it out loud together. It's verse 10 and 11. And the God of all, everybody, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. That's how Peter ends. I'm gonna, I'd like to close in with a word of prayer and bless our church and holy writ. Just found some passages from some other great coaches, Peter and Paul and James, and they're telling us to keep up the good fight. Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not be deceived by the deceiver. You join me in prayer. I'm just going to read Bible verses. Lord Jesus, I want to know Christ, Paul says. I want to know you in the power of his resurrection and participating in his suffering because that's how I can know him because that's how he knows me. I want to become like him even in his death so somehow I can attain the resurrection from the dead. When I consider the present sufferings, they're not worthy of comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us later. All of creation is eager in, expect, in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. They want us to get better. The whole creation is groaning with pains like childbirth right up into the present time. Not just we ourselves, but I mean, we, at least we have the fruit of the Spirit within us. But that Spirit groans eagerly awaiting the full adoption of even our bodies. And in that same way, in our weakness, the Spirit of God he will rest upon us. And it says he, the Spirit will intercede for, for God's people accordance to his will when they don't know how to pray. We, all, we know that all things work together for the good, for those who love him, those who are called to his purpose. We leave the results to him. Hey, Grace, consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face various kinds of trials, because you know the testing of your faith is going to produce perseverance, and that perseverance in its work will, will make you mature and complete and lacking in nothing. My beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you and tests you as though something strange is happening. But you should rejoice in that insofar as you get to share Christ's sufferings. And you can be rejoicing and glad that you'll see his glory revealed. And if you're insulted by, because of being an, a follower of Christ, you're blessed. And here's why. Because the spirit of glory and God's rest is going to 
rest upon you. Anyone suffers as a Christian, don't you be ashamed. That glorifies God. And those who suffer according to God's will, you entrust your very soul to that faithful creator while you keep doing good. Here's a word from the Lord, I believe. You cannot know God without him suffering for you. And you and I, we can't know God unless we suffer for him. So, Lord, let us enjoy the punches. And let us learn how not to blink. That it is a badge of honor, not of shame. It's not an insult, it's a compliment. That we would be a church of warriors. That we would enter eternity without regret. That we fought the good fight, we finished the race. And we loved you all the way. Let us be a church like that. In Jesus' name, amen.